thank you for joining us on let the healing begin podcast i am your host asia and today we have robin sears with us how are you doing robin i am doing well asia thank you so much for having me thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life to be here yeah it's my pleasure i appreciate you um so whereabouts are you from uh, originally I am from Houston, Texas. Okay. Um, so I was, I was born in Texas and lived, uh, there until I was a teenager and then moved to, uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, but currently I am outside of Atlanta, about an hour outside the city. Okay. So what made you move? Um, yeah, moved from, uh, Jacksonville. Um, I got married really young. And, uh, so we moved up here really for my husband's job, my ex-husband's job, I should say. Okay. So tell me this, like, as far as your childhood, what was that like growing up in your house? Yeah. Um, I would say I had a pretty normal, um, I had a pretty normal childhood and it's interesting because, uh, some of my girlfriends that, um, I'm still friends with from like middle school and high school. Or back in the day, we called it junior high. I don't call it that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even date myself. Um, yeah, it was, you know, I, it was, it was pretty normal. Uh, we had a two parent um, home. It was just my sister and I, and then my grandmother moved in with us. I think I was maybe nine. Uh, well, we were still living in Texas. And then, um, but she was an alcoholic and uh, things shifted in, in our home and we moved from Texas to Florida after my grandmother moved in with us and, uh, life became a little bit different. Um, I didn't understand, um, I loved my grandmother, but before that I only saw her like once a year for spring break, you know, and, um, I didn't understand why, um, she was angry. And so, yeah, so things uh, shifted for me. She loved my sister, but um, for whatever reason, I I just was not the favorite um, or anywhere near it. And um, I, I just uh, remember her just being unkind. But, you know, as an adult, I look back and I think she was really unhappy. And she turned to alcohol to just numb the pain. Let me ask you this. Would you and your sister ever talk about this? Yeah, we, um, we did. My sister, she's four years older than I am. And, um, we always just kind of joke because I am more mature than she is. And, uh, and she readily admits this as well. So I'm not saying something that she, she wouldn't agree with, but, um, I just, I grew up a lot faster than she did. And, uh, and so I don't know. Um, but yeah, my sister, definitely saw it. My, my parents saw it. Um, and my mother, I think tried to be a buffer. Um, and, uh, my dad, I think just stuck his head in the sand. That was his mother. And he really just kind of stuck his head in the sand. Now, let me ask you this. Um, with that being your dad's mom, was she like that towards him as well? You know, I think my dad had, he was the middle of two brothers and they had a very different, uh, lifestyle and upbringing than, than we did. My, uh, grandparents lived in New York city 
and they traveled they traveled a lot and my dad and his two brothers actually went to boarding school from a very young age and my i remember my dad just always being scared and he um he hated it he wanted to be at home with his mom um but she really wasn't all that interested so uh, I think it just was something um, about her that maybe she just really wasn't all that interested in being a parent. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I don't know. My my dad's youngest brother um, passed away a couple of years ago. And I remember him kind of talking about his experience as a, a child. And he had just, of course, very, you know, you, you grew up in the same household people and everybody has a different you know, experience. And he had a, a very different experience with um, my grandmother than, than my dad did. And I'm sure that the older brother did as well. But, um, you know, you ask about like what my childhood was like, and it was, it was very normal until my parents divorced when I was 19. And then um, all of a sudden it was like, who invited Jerry Springer into our home? <laughs> <laughs> because things got just, um, I was like, this is weird. Like we didn't, I mean, it was, it was pretty normal. Um, I, um, I, I, I got married young. I got married, um, and I had my oldest son when I was 17 okay. and, uh, moved out and, and, uh, and then my, my parents got divorced and it was really, it was bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just, uh, I think my dad just went off the rails and, and eventually uh, remarried and uh, somewhat settled down. But our relationship was never really the same after that um, because when she you say, did, I'm, I'm sorry, when you say your relationship was never the same, you mean you're, you and your dad's? Yeah, me and my dad, our relationship was never the same because growing up, he'd always been very family oriented and we would do family dinner on Sunday night and it was sort of mandatory. You had to be home even as a teenager. You know, you had to, you could bring the friends or your friends could come over. He didn't care, but you had to be home. And um and then after that it was just like he he didn't have time for my sister and I anymore. And uh, so things really really changed and uh, my stepmother didn't uh, I think she was just very intimidated. Um by the relationship that my dad had with my sister and I and really drove a wedge um, in our family. And my I handled it differently than my sister did. My sister did not handle it well and um, has subsequently just really struggled with alcohol herself and she's um, in recovery, which is fantastic, but uh, it created a lot of um, just challenging relationship issues, you know. Uh, and it was just, um, an interesting, well, I'll say season, but it's like, you know, 20 some odd years ago, uh, uh, my dad has since passed away. So, uh, we no longer struggle with that, but when he died, we didn't have a relationship. So let me ask you this, um, when he passed away and I'm sorry for your loss, um, when he passed away um, with you guys being like not close anymore, how did you take it? Uh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, a little, I had been grieving the relationship with my dad for probably 20 years. 
And so when he died, I felt like I had already grieved. Hmm. And so I didn't really have any grief left. Now I got another question for you um, because I talk all the time about um, like with different clients and stuff about like grieving people um, that are still alive and you know grief with grief it's what's tricky about it is you it's not only people that we grieve we can grieve a lost job we can grieve an old house like we it's so much that you can agree that you can grieve and also like you we can grieve people that are not even dead yet so Tell me what that process was like. Um, how did you manage to get through that? Uh, honestly, it was really hard because the dad that I knew growing up who, well, he, he worked a lot and he traveled for work, but there were, you know, definite, you know, like you'd be home for Sunday dinner and, and we would go to church and, um, you know, holidays and things like that. That was the dad that I expected as an adult. Mm. And when my my parents divorced, uh, it really made me realize, um, which I think I already knew, but then it was like, oh yeah, well duh, my mother was the glue, mm. right? And cause my mom was the one who like, she um, was able to stay home, was blessed to do that. And so she, you know, she was the one that was always there. She she took care of took care of everything, and she was the one who was always pay, who you know who picked up the pieces. And um, and so then when when my my dad left, it was still my mom doing the same thing, and just a recognition that was like, well, Sunday dinner really wasn't driven by my dad. It was really driven by my mom. Yeah. And but my dad had this big gregarious personality, and so when he went into a room and you know. Everybody was like, oh, there's Doug, you know, um, just kind of would, you know, just the center of attention whenever he was, uh, he was in a room. And so when um, my dad left and he um, remarried, I just have these very distinct memories um, of just trying to have that same relationship and struggling to navigate what it looked like to be new like to have this new relationship uh, and I and I never felt like I could get on firm footing and when I would ask him or say like dad like I don't you know like I, I kind of like I miss you uh, you know I don't feel like we can have the same um, relationship he always just brushed it off because my dad didn't like confrontation yeah. and it, things were always somebody else's fault um, and you know he, oh everything's fine I don't know why you say that so then I'm the one with the problem, right? Um, which I now think we call that gaslighting, right? But <laughs> that's what we call it. That's what we call it. Um, and gaslighting doesn't have to be done in a in an ugly way, right? It doesn't have to be done in a loud voice. It doesn't have to be done in um, you know in a really overt way. It can be done in a really covert way. So, which is why I think uh, I missed it. Um, because my dad was a gentle person. Like he never, he yelling did not happen in our household unless it was my sister and I yelling at each other. Um, but my parents didn't yell at each other. And that was just, uh, so my dad just had this, um, quietly manipulative way. And, um, and it wasn't until I got some distance from him. That, that, I, really, 
Yeah, that I finally saw it. And so um, as the years progressed and um, I had three, I have three children and my oldest son um, had the most relationship with him uh, and has more, more memories with him. And my other two children really don't remember my dad at all. Um, I think uh, I can probably count on one hand the number of times that my daughter saw my father. Um, because we just no longer became a priority. Is that hurtful for you? Oh, incredibly so. Because I always thought that, you know, my dad would be this great grandfather and he would come to all the things and do all the things. And, and then he just, he couldn't be bothered. Uh, I'm sorry. Do you think that that was because of, um, his, his wife or he just kind of lost that sense of family? Well, I think it was definitely part of it was his wife. And I think she just felt threatened by, um, you know, just our, uh, our relationship. And she didn't really have the same relationship with her children. And instead of us being a bonus, like I have two stepsons and I look at them as a bonus. They are a gift to me. Absolutely. And if my husband needs to go spend time with them alone, please invest in your relationship with your children. You know, I would never, I could never imagine putting a wedge. And you know, it's, it's the, it's a really sad truth. Um, it's sad that, and I know it doesn't just stop at women. Like I'm sure there's some men too that are insecure, Um, but I, I completely agree with you. Um, like by all means, um, you know, we get additional kids, like that's a bonus, um, or additional people to love and to love us, but not everybody can step back and look at things that way. And it's so sad because it's like, why would you want any father or any mother or any person to not spend as much time as possible with their family and let alone their children? You know, these are the people that they contributed and given life to, you know, Yeah. It's so sad. Um, this is what I wanted to ask you. I know you said that um, like in your house, there was no yelling and things like that. Um, how do you feel like, how do you feel like that may contribute, may have like contributed to you and to who you are today? And when you hear someone yelling, is that, does that kind of like, is it like a ill for you? Yeah, that's a, a really interesting question. Um, I think up until, uh, after I turned 40, uh, is when I finally realized that, uh, confrontation is not a bad word, right? It's not bad. Um, and you can do confrontation in a positive way. And so growing up, um, both of my parents were passive. And so I learned to be passive and, uh, passivity can turn into passive aggressiveness. And that's not healthy. So um, I just learned that if there's an elephant in the room, you just shove it under the carpet. Ah. Yeah. And then um, I I got divorced when I was in my early 30s. And then I thought, oh, I am confronting everything, you know, like, and then I just became this like over the top, <laughs> you know, I went, went from like zero to a hundred in a span of like 10 months. And, um, you know, I was just fueled by, you know, rage. Uh, and then thankfully I have matured, um, mostly I think, uh, and, um, so yeah, I think it just, it, uh, 
life had to teach me. I had to unlearn, right? So mm-hmm. now when there is an elephant in the room, I get antsy. I'm like, like, we need to talk about this. This has to be addressed. And uh, so when people on the other side are like, oh, I don't do confrontation, that's what um, aggravates me. Cause I'm like, this doesn't have to be an aggressive conversation, right? This can be a, I don't understand your perspective. Can you, can you help me? Like, let's be adults and talk about this. And I actually think that that's something that's wrong with the world right now. It's like, we actually can't sit down and say, hey, we don't agree, but that's cool. Like, tell me more about what, why you think what you think. You know? um, so I think maturity and age has taught me that, like, can we just talk about this for a sec? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Absolutely. And you know what? <clears throat> Communication is like one, one thing that has to happen. It just has to, you know? Um, let me ask you this. So with like knowing what you know now, as far as like being passive and whatnot, what, where do you find balance? Like, what do you teach your kids? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting because I see they're all three incredibly different and doing different things in, uh, in their lives. And I see my oldest son, um, has a very low, uh, threshold for people taking advantage of him and will immediately nip it in the bud. He's like, I'm not doing that. And right. It's like, yeah, you know, good for you. Um, and my, but he's less maybe diplomatic about it. And my middle son also doesn't tolerate a lot of garbage, but he is a lot more diplomatic. And then my daughter, uh, who's the youngest, um, she still gets really emotional. And uh, when when uh, challenging situations come up and she's um, uh, she's married and she and her husband are expecting their first baby and they're actually going through some challenging things right now. And she's like, mama, I just got off the phone and cried. Like, I just couldn't understand why, why they weren't hearing me. And it's like, yeah, that comes with age and experience and the ability to say, I'm sorry, you need to stop right now. And what you're saying to me doesn't make sense. So could you try again? Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and, and it's honestly, it's okay to be like, oh, I, you know, your tone of voice is like, it sounds like you're having a bad day. Like, that's my favorite thing to do when somebody's like being aggressive towards them. Oh my gosh, it sounds like you're having a bad day. I'm so sorry. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. Because I think oftentimes when people respond that way, they don't actually realize Mm -hmm. that they're doing that. Mm -hmm. And then when you say something like that to them, they were like, no, I'm not having a bad day. What do you mean? It's like, you just have this tone of tone in your voice that you just sound like you're having a really bad day. And I'm sorry. And you know, one thing that my mom always used to say that I didn't understand when I was younger, but I do understand it now is it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Because mm-hmm. you can say the same thing 50 different ways, like, and it, it'll mean 50 different things just on the way that you say it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It makes me think about um, when, when my kids were young and you would tell them nicely to do something, you know, clean your room or eat your vegetables, whatever, do your homework. And then you say it a little more sternly and then you say it again. And then by the end, you're like yelling. <laughs> you know, like a, <laughs> like a crazy person. Um, 
and uh like you know you can't carry that into adulthood that's so true that is so true um so let me ask you this so being i know you said you got married early and becoming a mom at such a young age and married like what was life like for you back then um a blur (laughs) it was um yeah it was challenging i was a senior in high school and um, uh, we got married and um, I ended up finishing high school. Our local community college had a high school completion program. And so I ended up finishing um, high school a little bit early and then I started, uh, I started college. And my mother and my mother-in-law um, would babysit for me so I could go to school. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was, I think it was a lot of kind of trying to juggle um, parenthood, but I was still really young and then trying to figure out how to be married, which I had, you know, which was <laughs> craziness. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a lot, but I was very much like, no, I have a child. I can be responsible now. So I didn't go out. I lost all my friends except for, um, except for three. Mm-hmm. And I'm still friends with them today um, because all my friends were going off to college and partying and all that stuff. Well, I didn't want to do any of that, yeah. you know? Um, and because I felt like, you know, I'm already asking a lot of my family and I, it's not their responsibility to raise, to raise my, to raise my kid. And so I, um, I, I, I tried to step into my mother's shoes, I think, mm-hmm. you know? And even though she was like barely five feet tall and, you know, she wore like a kid size four, she was teeny tiny. Um, like she wore some really big shoes, you know, like I, uh, even to this day, she passed away two and a half years ago. And I'm even to this, you know, like, I'm like, I will never be able to wear my mother's shoes. I don't know how she did all the things that she did. Um, she was incredibly talented. Uh, but you know, at 17, I was trying to be my mother who my mother was at 55, you know, and it just, it, it ages you when you step into that role. Um, I think, uh, in some good ways and some, some bad ways. Cause I became very rigid, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, Oh, like I was a little bit crazy. And now I'm going to become very rigid. <laughs> <laughs> One thing didn't work. We're going to try the other thing. Um, you know, and that pendulum has swung too, right? Age and wisdom shows us like, yeah, you don't, you don't, the, the polar extremes don't work in life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sorry about the loss of your mom too. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was, that was tough. Yeah. Um, so how, I know you said your sister is in recovery. Congratulations to her. Yes. Um, how has like do you guys talk about the things that you went through um like now if that you're as you're like as an adults um and have a different yeah. we haven't um in, in a long time probably um probably should review revisit some of those conversations um i think part of her recovery journal journey is facing some of those things and so I, I want to be um, a support in that. And I think some things she might not be ready to, you know, enter into the conversation. Uh, yeah, so it is, it's something that's still floating out there uh, and still, uh, there are still avenues of the relationship that need to be unpacked. Yeah. 
And you know what? The it's it's crazy because like me personally with my healing journey, um, healing from a lot of things in my past. One of the things that brought me the most healing was actually turning around to face those things that I had gone through. Um, and a lot of them, like, I had forgotten about completely. Um, and, the, you know, like, God would bring them back to my memory. And I'm like, whoa, like, I forgot all about that situation, you know. But it's like, sometimes we have to face it. And some people are not ready to face those things. Um, I have people that are in my life that, you know, um, that I would love to see healed and they just they're they have such a hard time with dealing with the things that hurt them and I understand that you know because we all like heal at our own pace and um for some sure happenings you know go a little deeper than others yeah so, yeah um, it's a journey um and you do have to be willing to step into the pain of the past one of the most powerful exercises things that I did, of course, other than therapy, because I did spend quite a bit of time in therapy, which I highly recommend. Um, uh, But I was taking a coaching course and one of the uh, things that they wanted you to do was to journal basically the the points in your life that stand out the most, both good and and bad. And you kind of write a a synopsis and um, the feelings that you had in the moment and maybe the feelings that you have now and then to do a reflection exercise on how that experience impacts you today and the lessons that you learned. So basically reframing that experience. And once I did that, I really was able to sit back and go, you know, some of those really awful things that I experienced I learned a lot and they are now gifts to me. Yes. Mm. And the opportunity that, you know, years down the road that it provided me was an opportunity to step into growth and to step into healing and to step into peace and to recognize that, you know, I, I truly believe that, um, that things you can look at things, they happen to you or they happen for you. And um, a couple years ago, I was uh, working with an executive coach and he, um, I had worked for an extremely toxic organization and I was really, I had left the organization and I've been gone, I don't know, maybe six or eight months or so, but I was really struggling to kind of unpack all the feelings that I had had because I felt like I left everything on the table and then some for the organization. And um and I was really struggling. Like I was, I was carrying this, these bags around, and I was having this conversation with this coach. And uh, three coaching sessions in, he said, "Stop." And I was like, "What, Lou?" <laughs> he said, "He's like, okay, we've had three sessions. <clears throat> in three times, you have mentioned this same thing." And I don't know if you realized that. And I was like, "No, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that." And he said put the bag down Mm. and I was like what do you mean and he said you are carrying around a heavy bag put the bag down and that was such a pivotal moment for me because Mm. in that moment I actually visualized like dropping the hundred pound luggage Uh. right and then taking steps forward and every time I start to pick something back up 
I literally hear Lou in my head saying, put the bag down. I'm like, oh, I gotta put the bag down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's that's such a that's a, such a good way to think about it. Um, I was talking to my clients um, and telling them we were talking about like forgiveness and holding grudges, right? Yeah. And I told them, I'm like, you know, when you hold a grudge against someone or you just, you pretty much like let them live in your head rent free. Yes. That's just like, that's just like packing someone up in a bag in a suitcase and carrying them around with you all single like all day yeah. I'm like that is super heavy you know that's heavy and they're off living their life and just free and you know right and aren't even thinking twice about um, you yeah right? <laughs> and and I think that kind of goes back into well then is there a conversation that needs to be had Right. (laughs) Because I'm feeling wounded and struggling to like reconcile what this is between us. Mm -hmm. So then I have an opportunity. I can carry the bag around and be angry and hurt, or I can put the bag down and say, Hey, like, this is how I experienced the situation. And this is how I'm feeling in the moment right now. And I feel like it's putting a wedge between us. So, you know, there, there is this opportunity when I think about the organization that I worked with and I think about when I dropped the bags, I think about what I was left with because I grew so much there and I met some of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life that are still friends. And I learned professionally so many skills. And so I could walk away with leaving the toxicity behind, but moving forward with these gifts. Yep. Right. So, um, so I think about like when I dropped those bags, like I healed from that. Mm -hmm. And when I did that reframing exercise, like I healed from, you know, uh, having a difficult first marriage and all of the junk that went on there. Um, and I, I healed from, you know, just all of these, um, life events that happened and um and now when I think about them I don't think about them with a lot of pain absolutely now let me ask you this when you went to therapy right because I don't think enough people go to therapy like agreed it's this this stigma about their therapy you know everybody should go to therapy so let me ask you I'm gonna ask you two questions in one when you sought out therapy what exactly were you looking for? Was it something specific or you just like, I just need someone to talk to. And then also when you did decide to go, can you tell everybody just in case somebody that's listening is on the fence about therapy? Can you tell everybody what therapy did for you? I know it helped yeah. you. Yeah. So, um, the, the first time I went to therapy, I went every week for a year and uh, it was while I was married to my first husband and, um, there he there was a he traveled for work and there was a lot of infidelity in our marriage and um i was trying to regain a sense I, I wanted to save my marriage um but there's like this caveat that if you want to save your marriage both people have to go to therapy <laughs> yeah. uh not one person can go and and it work uh it apparently does not work that way so but um what i was trying to gain from there was a sense of who I was again 
because at 17, when I stepped into the shoes of my 50 year old mother, um, I, I, I fast forwarded over a lot because I was trying to be something that I wasn't. And, um, and not that that was all bad because I was trying to be this mature, responsible, you know, teenager. Um, but I, I didn't know who I was and, um, the messaging that I was receiving at home was, I just wasn't enough. And here's all the list of reasons how you're not enough. And so I, I, I was like, but am I enough? And I just would have these ruminating thoughts that would just, you know, kind of go on and on and on and on. And what the therapist helped me do was give me some tools to help stop those thoughts. And then also um, just to speak life into myself, right? And uh, one of the tools Um, because you know, like when you have those ruminating thoughts and I go like this towards the back of my head, because you know, all of that is from the amygdala, right? It's the, the fight or flight. Um, and, uh, it's the 8,000 fights that you have in your head and it creates anxiety and the cortisol response and, and all of that. Um, and it's, it's a technique. It's just stop therapy. And so when you actually say the word stop, when you're in that headspace, your brain actually stops. Like if you tell yourself to stop, yeah, try it. It is the craziest thing. And he said, the therapist said to me, he said, um, you know, you might have to say to the beginning, like, stop, 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 stop. Uh, and he's like, if you're in the car and, and you like scream it, like at the top of your lungs, stop, you know, I don't want to yell in the microphone, um, but at the top of your lungs, and your brain literally has to stop. He's like, your brain needs to rest. Mm. And if you allow this pattern of thinking to go on, it will impact the rest of your life. You have to stop this. So that was a really helpful tool. The other tool that um, he gave me, and this is really hard, is um, uh, to, to do to do to do math in your head, right? And so like, I am not a math person. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, please, do we have to do, do we have to do this? And he's like, yes, because when you are doing numbers, your mind can't think thoughts wow. and emotions. So it's counting backwards by, from a hundred by threes. Oh man. <laughs> think about how hard that was. And yeah. at one point I literally could like rattle it off really fast. Cause I had gotten so good. I was like, oh, I can do this like, 30 seconds or less. Um, but, uh, because the numbers, when you're doing numbers and math in your head, your brain stops thinking. Wow. That's amazing. Cause you're triggering another portion of your brain. Yeah. So, um, those were some really helpful things that I learned in therapy. And then also just to continue to pursue myself with the same kind of kindness and empathy that I would give to a friend that was hurting. Absolutely, yeah. And um, sometimes I think, you know, we think that that's a weird concept and that we don't deserve that same kind of love and self-care, but we do. And it is the old adage, right? You can't pour from an empty cup. And what does filling that cup look like? It's different for everybody, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I love a good massage like the next person, however, 
<laughs> I love one of my very favorite things. And one of the ways I feel, try to fill my cup every day is I love to have my cup of coffee first thing in the morning outside early to watch the sunrise. And that sets my day. You know, it's a moment of gratitude. I have a devotional that I like to listen to every day. And so I'm watching the the sun, I'm listening to the birds, I'm listening to my devotional and, you know, sitting in, in a place of gratitude mm-hmm. in that moment for the opportunity. Yeah. Like you said, it sets the tone for the whole entire day. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to try that number thing. I'm, I'm yes. telling you, that is amazing because I... <clears throat> If you think about it, and now as you were telling me about it, I'm sitting here counting and everything else just like shut down. Just I like down. that. Yeah, it shuts down. And it's challenging. You don't think, oh, like, well, how hard could it be? But, you know, counting backwards by threes is actually pretty challenging. It is. <laughs> I think I only got to 94. <laughs> <laughs> and also feel like you can't sleep at night, you know, and your mind starts going. It's a great way to help shut your mind down. And, like, and at some point you can go back to sleep. I like that. Thank you. That is so helpful. Yeah. Um. So let me ask you this. When you started going to, no, let me back up some. So anybody that's on the fence that's listening right now. Yeah. Um, our therapy goes. What, what would you say to those that are maybe worried? Maybe, you know how some people may worry, like, oh, this therapist may judge me or I don't want to seem crazy. Or what advice would you give to somebody that's straddling the fence about going to therapy? Um. I, I would, one of my very best friends is actually a therapist. And I, what I would say to somebody who is struggling is um, just to rip the bandaid off, do it, have the phone call, do just a meet and greet. Like a lot of times you can just kind of like, I, I don't, maybe you're not the right fit for me. I don't know. But just to step into that space, um, you will not regret it. There are so many incredible therapists out there doing phenomenal work that can really help you heal from the past. And I think, you know, that's um, the difference between like coaching and therapy and, you know, there's uh, mentoring, you know, they're, they're all different modalities and they all have their own place. And when you're really trying to heal from, from things in the past, trying to wrestle your anxiety and figure out like, how do I overcome this? Get a handle on it. The, a good therapist is the absolute best way to go. And um, so I would I would just encourage you to, to rip off the Band-Aid. And if you're afraid to go by yourself, have a friend drive you. They're not going to be able to sit in the office with you, but they can be there as a source of support. Just, just go. Um, thank you for that. So... When you started going to therapy and stuff, um, how long did it take you to notice that like you were starting to heal? Yeah. Um, so the first time I went, I went for about a year and I think I left that year definitely stronger mm-hmm. and able to see things in a different perspective and accept my responsibility the parts that I was responsible for in my marriage. You can't fix somebody else. You can only fix yourself. You can't change for somebody else. You can only change for yourself. So the opportunity to recognize and to own my own parts, because it takes two people to break a marriage. Um, And even though I was not unfaithful to my husband, 
I did have an attitude, right? Like there were things in the mayor, I was contributing to the division in the relationship. So it gave me an opportunity to own my own part. And um, after that, I mean, we stayed married for probably another seven years. And I, I think I just continued along that path um, and just experienced more of the same. And at some point I was like, I, I just, I, I'm gonna end up on that TV show, Snapped. <laughs> Um, that's like, I had kind of hit that wall in my relationship where, um, I, I just thought this is, I, I can't do this anymore. It's no longer healthy. It hasn't been healthy for a long time, but I wanted to do everything in my power to, to save my marriage, you know, and, um, and I, and I couldn't, and ultimately I feel like, you know, God removed me from that situation for a purpose. Um, I came out of that. I'd been a stay-at-home mom. I came out of that um, having to work, step into the workforce for the first time. And that was incredibly challenging because now all of a sudden I'm like, how am I going to support three kids and feed them and keep a roof over our head and get them to all of their sporting activities and you know do all the things? Um, and that's really kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing now is because when I stepped into the workforce, I had a very challenging first boss, um, but the second man that I worked for, he and his wife uh, were mentors to me and really helped me. I did a lot of healing when I worked for them. And part of that was, um, and I may actually get emotional when I talk about this, but um, my boss, he and his wife, they were so incredibly kind and I, I came out of a very stressful marriage where nothing I did was right. And my husband would tell me, like, if you worked for me, I would fire you. So I thought every mistake I made, I was gonna get fired, right? So there was this tension that I um, took into work. And I'll, I'll never forget, like I made a, bo- a mistake and I was sitting at my desk and my boss came up and he, he just very kind of was like, oh, hey, next time do X, Y, Z instead. Just very chill, very calm, very educational. Like the delivery was just like, oh, hey, do this instead next time. Like no big deal. We fixed it, you know. And um, he he walked away and I sank down into my office chair and hid behind the monitor and I cried because he was so kind. Yeah. And um he and his wife are still very dear uh, people to me. And that really helped me see like there are good people in the world mm-hmm. uh, and it's okay to be broken. It's okay to go to work broken, uh, but we have to see each other as human beings. And we have to be able to say, hey, you made a mistake, but you know what? We all do. And literally there's pretty much all mistakes can be fixed, right? There's a solution. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question. I might've gotten off a little. Um... No, that was, that was good. You almost made me cry because you know what? <laughs> so many times, like we are in these toxic and just these relationships that tear us and break us down, right? Especially like <clears throat> with those of us that have been married, like a lot of times we get in this, these marriages and we feel like, you know, I'm in this for the long haul. I want to this has got to work, you know? Um, and 
oftentimes we get like just used and accustomed to not being treated right so when we are um you know crossing paths with these people that do treat us like we're human and do come from a place of empathy and a place of care it's foreign to us you know yeah and and so i definitely understand that um so let me ask you this because i know you know with you having supervisors and bosses like that i know you fell in love with with the work that you do what were you doing for work when you were in that space uh you know it's interesting people say that uh, like i see it on linkedin all the time oh people don't leave jobs they leave bad bosses and i'm like well that's actually not true i adored my boss Mm -hmm. i adored his wife i loved working for them but I just didn't enjoy what I was doing anymore. And I was working in the insurance industry and uh, commuting. And it was tough with three kids. And it was like a 45 minute drive. And um, I found I was missing a lot Uh, and just trying to get, you know, sports. And they were um, uh, one in high school, one in middle school, one in elementary school. And so, you know, it was just this uh, constant struggle. And I was relying on my oldest son who could drive to do for the other two, which also isn't fair, right? It's not his job to be a parent. Uh, and and so, um, you know, it just became, uh, I had an opportunity to get a work from home job. And so I took it. But I, when I told my boss I was leaving, I saw because I didn't want to leave them, you know, um, I, but I, I needed to take this other opportunity. And, uh, so yeah, it was, they're just dear, 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 sweet people and still impacting the lives of other, right? Like they're, they're in leadership in other organizations and they're doing these same things for other people. And I think that was a lesson for me is that, uh, is to treat the people that you're working with like they're human beings and they're struggling through the exact same things that we are struggling with, right? Like, I mean, ultimately, like the human experience Mm -hmm. should bring us together, not drive us apart. Absolutely. And so part of the work that I'm doing in working with single mothers is to be a bit of a mentor and a source of encouragement because I was so encouraged in that season, not only by my boss and his wife, but also I had some really good friends who stepped into the gap and helped me with my children and uh, were a a positive sounding board and wouldn't let me get away with garbage, right? Like they're like, okay, Robin, like, (laughs) (laughs) dial it back. because we all need that like you know I want friends that are going to keep me in check you know because I don't want to don't don't tell me what you think I want to hear no I need to know what I'm wrong you know so that I can take corrective action and fix my behavior you know so that I'm not wronging anybody um you know yeah because we're friends you don't have to put up my crap like tell me so (laughs) get right (laughs) that's right that's right it's like you can tell me that I'm you know being a knucklehead it's totally fine so before I close this out, I want to know what it, you say you, and you kind of got off into my next question. Um, so what is it that you do now? And um, yeah, you want to tell everyone about that? Sure. Um, I have a, I have a podcast too. It's called Above and Not Beneath. 
And that actually comes from Deuteronomy 28, 13. And uh, it's actually, it's a prayer, part of a prayer that my mom used to pray over my sister and I. And it's you're the head and not the tail, you're above and not beneath and blessed are the fruits of your labor. So she kind of married these various scripture verses. And I uh, I think at my lowest points, I would just remember that. And it was like, Matnoma, the, the word says that I am above and not beneath. And when I was um, at my lowest thinking that, you know, I was like the gum on the bottom of the shoe, uh, that that was the world telling me a lie. And so that gave me strength and hope. And so I, I started a podcast also just to provide encouragement for other people, predominantly, you know, I mean, I think my audience is mostly women, but it's universal right? Hope and encouragement is universal. It's part of our shared uh, experience as human beings. And um, some of the other work that I'm doing is, is doing some group coaching. And I use a method called positive intelligence. And what I love about it is um, that it addresses the way we self-sabotage and that inner judge. Yeah. And so that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we could dive down. But um, yeah, there's a, we, that inner judge, that inner critic, um, when we can get a handle on it and put it in its place, sometimes it's a warning signal, right? There, there can be a warning and it's like putting your hand on the hot stove. That is helpful for one second. Be like, Ooh, that's hot. When our judge kicks in or when, um, you know, we, we get to uh, hyper achievement, you know, when we're just chasing, 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 there's a signal there to us that says, hold on. There's something else here. You're filling a void. Uh, and then that can get in the way of other things like relationships and, and all kinds of things. So um, I use this methodology called, called, called now I can't speak, <laughs> positive intelligence. Hmm. Okay, that's really good. And you know what? So like oftentimes God deals with me about showing myself grace, right? Yes. Like you said, we are our biggest critic. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times we just are really hard on ourselves, you know, and we don't show ourselves with um, grace and we don't give ourselves room for error right and yeah. it's like one thing that God told me and he put me in check with this and I'm like but you know what thank you because I needed this um this was like last year sometime he was talking to me about having like showing myself grace and he was showing showing me like you're supposed to be a, re- a reflection of me you know how God tells us to love others and be a reflection of him he's like but you got to do the same thing with yourself. You know, that's the way that you're treating yourself is not the way that I treat you, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I'm like, okay, I, I got you. Yeah. So I was appreciative of that revelation and it's helped me, um, you know, and it's helped me help other people too, you know? So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, that's so good. There's a really good um, exercise kind of in that same vein. And it's, you take a childhood picture. So under the age of like 10, and you really study the picture mm-hmm. and the, you'll notice that the inner judge is going to start picking it apart, right? It's like, no, sorry. This is a beautiful child. Mm-hmm. This is a child that has a sparkle in their eyes and it's creative. And you start speaking all of the things of how, who you were created to be right before the world put the layers on 
Yep. And it's like, no, this is a smart child. This is a capable child. This is a child who, you know, is funny and caring. And you start listing all of those traits that, you know, maybe you've gotten buried. And every time the judge starts to pick it, you picture that child in your mind, you're like, no, I was created to be a loving, kind, compassionate, gracious human being. And I can do that for others. I can do it for myself. Oh, that's good. That's good. (laughs) That's some good stuff. So one last question before I close this out. If people want to work with you um, or want to reach out to you, how can we find you? Sure. Um, uh, my website is above not beneath.org. And uh, the podcast is listed there. It's a little bit under construction, but hopefully in the next couple of weeks, um, I'll have an opportunity where you can book a, a coaching call with me, but also um, the positive intelligence. There are two assessments that will help you see um, assess what your top two inner critics are, what your top two saboteurs are. And it's kind of a bit, it's, uh, it's kind of fun to go down that rabbit hole. When I first did it, I was like, yeah, this is whatever, this is not it. (laughs) And then I started really researching and reading and I was like, oh, I totally do that. Like, this is absolutely, (laughs) um, but it's been really helpful on my journey to, uh, just to recognize and to become more aware, you know, my thoughts and my feelings and our thoughts drive our emotions. Yep. And when you can start to just kind of have some awareness there. Um, so yeah, those things will be on the website. Oh, that's good stuff. Okay. I, um, I want to thank you again for this. I appreciate you, man. This is this, yeah, this episode, I, I, all the other guests better watch out. Cause I don't know this, this is a pretty good one right here. <laughs> it's been tremendous fun and i am so deeply grateful to you for having me on no problem you're welcome back anytime yes i would love that okay thank you so much for joining us once again on let the healing begin podcast um please head over to the t-shirt and hoodie store and support us at www.greatergrowthllc.com you can also support us by heading over to amazon and purchasing a copy of back in my day by Asia Wilson and until next time.